ambiance. And, oh, oh, hi. <laughs> Hello. Welcome, friends. No. Um, yes, welcome, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Um, this is Dan Kent. And yeah, absolutely. He kicked off this new series for us last week. That guy up there is Paul Eddy. Hi, Paul. So good to have you joining us. He's out of the state, but he wanted to be here for us today. And I'm going to tell you what's going on. As you all know, and if you don't know, you need to go back and watch and listen. Dan Kent here kicked off this new sermon series. Thank you, sir. Let's, I mean, that was great, right? Uh, Thank you so much um, for what you shared. But here's the thing. As we knew that we were going to be doing this series and the things that we we're going to be talking about, we also knew that there would be some questions bubbling up for people right out of the gate. And we didn't want those questions to kind of get in the way of everyone hearing what was going to be taught over the next several weeks and, and listening and processing. And so, because, um, you know, if you have a question, sometimes that just gnaws at you until you get it answered. So we're going to do that First, we're going to start things off after the intro sermon that we had last week and kind of address some of those questions so that people can really fully enter into this teaching. Um, the cool thing, Dan, is like this is what we get to do every week, right. right? Like this is like Musecast, prime live, prime time, Musecast. They're all here. Yeah. It's kind of cool, right? And then we've got Paul joining us. It's awesome. That's your dream. Although Love. I don't know for sure if it's really Paul because it could be like artificial intelligence or something. It could be. And I just got to say that one about six months ago, I said. I don't, you never know how long you're going to have at a place. You never know how long a good thing is going to last. And the one thing I want to have happen before I'm done at Woodland Hills is I want to do a panel with Paul Eddy. And instead, they give me Max Headroom. And I just, I tell you, it's not, this does not count. This does not count. So. Paul, can you say hello so everyone can just hear your voice and know that you're really real? Let's prove to Dan that you're actually there. Dan, this is me. This is the real me. <laughs> I, I'm so good to be with you. And uh, to my Woodland Hills family, it's great mm -hmm. to be with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes. All right, so our first question that we're going to discuss is pretty obvious about this lovely little passage in Matthew that uh, we talked about, Dan, and you let us off and you said that you were going to leave this to Pastor Greg. You said you were going to kick this can down the road. You weren't going to address it. But guess what, buddy? You're here. Here I am. <laughs> so, here, I never get away with anything. You're not you. getting just, away with man. it. Absolutely not. And so this is the question, Dan. We have spent the last 162 weeks, it feels like, <laughs> talking about judgment and our call to not judge. And then we come upon these scriptures, these verses that yep. talk about dogs and pigs and pearls. And it seems like now we get to judge who's a dog, who's a pig, and these pearls, and who gets them and who doesn't. And oh my goodness. Yeah. Buddy. Yeah. Help us out here, please. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough one because um, you're right. I mean, Jesus is so absolute and total about uh, how we should not judge. And he warns us about the dangers of judgment. And then he says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. Don't give anything sacred to those dogs. And it sounds like he's going back on what he just said. Yeah. Now suddenly I have to say, oh, that guy's a total dog. You know, and, it, and so what, what gives here? What's yeah. going on with this? And there's a, a lot of uh, explanations for, for this verse. And um, I have stubbornly embraced the classic understanding. And the classic understanding is uh, that what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7, 6 uh, where he says, do not throw your pearls to pigs and do not give what is sacred to dogs, uh, 
I think what he's talking about there is discernment. And so he comes out of warning us about judgment. Do not judge, but you have to discern. You have to be able to discern. And, and the reason why I say I've been stubborn to accept this is because it, it feels like uh, semantics. It feels like kind of like a little bit of a cop-out. Like, uh, this is still kind of judgment. It's just like judgment light. And, um, and, and when you look at how total and absolute Jesus is against judgment, to me, diet judgment isn't good enough. You know, it, it seems like th- whatever Jesus is talking about in 7, 6 has to be something totally other than what Jesus is talking about in 1 through 5. And as I've looked at this, I've concluded that, yes, what he is talking about in 7, 6, it's not judgment light. It is something totally different. The discernment, as Jesus teaches it, is not the same thing as judgment. And I just kind of pulled this together this weekend. In looking at his teaching and the Apostle Paul's teaching in the rest of the New Testament, this is how I understand it. Judgment is when we make a diagnosis about a person. It's very diagnostic. We say a person is good or bad or righteous or unrighteous or holy or unholy. Uh, So it's very total about the person. A discernment is very functional. It's about how do I interact with this person. It's not about the person in themselves. It's about my interaction with them. And with judgment, we initiate it. We say that person is, is bad or that person is good. And it just it's our judgment that comes from us. Discernment is a response to what they do. It's, it's always responsive to them. And so in that way, uh, discernment is very much about the, the person and doing what's best for the person. And you can see this more clearly, I think, in other parts of the New Testament where, like for instance in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to go and find the lost sheep of Israel. And he warns them, you're going to go into these towns and um, even though you have the Holy Spirit, you are still sheep amongst wolves. You have to be careful. And so when you go into these towns, find a worthy person to help you out. Now, again, a worthy person, it sounds like he's judging again. Now I have to decide who's worthy and who's unworthy. But when you notice how he defines worthy, you see that it's not the same as judgment. Because uh, what he says is that, well, he doesn't define a worthy person, but he defines an unworthy person as a person who is not welcoming you and they're not willing to listen to what you have to say. So it's all about how they treat you. It's the, the worthiness is your response to how they're treating your message. And when you take that back to this passage about throwing your pearls to pigs and giving what's sacred to dogs, you see that what Jesus is saying here is that, uh, look, a, a pig, they, they can't do anything with a pearl. They, they can't eat them, and they're certainly not going to wear them because they're rolling around in the mud. And, and you can't give something sacred to a dog because dogs just don't understand sanctity. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's warning us that if you try to uh, give the wrong message, you're going to end up with a bad result. First of all, it's futile, and it might even be dangerous. And so really what Jesus is saying is uh, everybody that we meet is worthy of the gospel. But not everybody is worthy to hear the gospel right now. There might be a time when they are welcoming, but they're not always welcoming right away. Don't waste time on something that is, is futile. And, uh, you know, we also see that, you know, Jesus, uh, he's called a person a dog before in the New Testament. Uh, in, I think, uh, Matthew 15, he runs into this Canaanite woman, and this Canaanite woman begs for healing, and Jesus says, why should I give the bread for Israel to a dog? And the woman says, well, even a dog deserves crumbs that fall off the table. And Jesus turns to her and says, woman, you have great faith. 
And what's cool about that is there's only three people that Jesus praises their faith. And one of them, he just called a dog because she becomes so humble and uh, receptive of what Jesus has to offer. Um, and then another a great example of, of showing how Jesus discerns people and responds accordingly. And I don't have time to get into it, but uh, just look up the, how Jesus responds to Herod in the New Testament and how he responds to Zacchaeus. Because both of these guys are authority figures who who are oppressing and abusing the Jews. And he responds very different to Herod. He gives Herod the silent treatment, but he has dinner with Zacchaeus, even though they're very, very similar uh, in appearance. But he discerns this guy's ready to receive this message. Um, And so I guess what I would say ultimately is 7-6, Jesus is telling us, do not judge. You, You can't be judgmental. But you cannot be passive either. You have to discern. You're about to go on this two ways journey. You need discernment. And so that's how I make sense of it. And, and I, I think it really uh, brings a lot of life to the rest of the two ways part of the Sermon on the Mount. Dan, you didn't have to kick that down the road. You did. Well, you know, uh, it's, 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 it was tough. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> because it does. It looks like, you know, it looks like... Uh, Judgment light, yeah. you know, and, uh, and you really have to, and this is where you have to look at the rest of the New yeah. Testament and then Contact. come back to yes. 7, 6. So. Oh, thank you for that. Um, so then we read on in verses 7 through 11, these beautiful words where Jesus seems to promise us that things we ask for in prayer will be given to us. And according to Jesus, the basis of this promise is what? Our good, good father, a heavenly father who wants to give us good gifts. Um, but this raises several important questions. And Paul, I'm looking right at you, sir, joining us via Zoom from where you are. Thank you again for being here. If we step back for a moment and we look at this whole idea of prayer, we know that we can pray to God um, and Jesus instructs us to pray. But nevertheless, some of us, many of us, I think, struggle with a consistent and meaningful prayer life. And I think one of the reasons is, be, is because we know we serve this all-knowing God, this all-good God who, who has all of the answers. And so we can be tempted to think, why add our, <laughs> why add our voice to that? Like, why add our two cents? Why, why, why pray for anything when God already knows what's good, what's right, what should happen, what needs to happen? Why does he need us? And so really, I'm asking you, Paul, is how can we stay passionate about praying for people and situations when our logic tells us that God is already going to do what God is going to do because God knows what to do best. Yeah. Hey, question, Sean, and it's not theoretical. It's, uh, um, I've talked to, to Woodland folks over the years and a bunch of Bethel students about prayer, and this, this one's come up. It's like, hey, I call it a, kind of a pro forma view of prayer. It's like God's God. He knows, he knows what's best a lot better than we do. So at, at best prayer becomes this sort of uh, supposed to. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I'm supposed to. Or at worst, it just feels like a waste of time. Um, but, you know, I've talked to other people that that have a slightly different take on prayer when it comes to this. It's like, uh, I guess what I'd call the, the twisting God's arm view of prayer, where it's like, um, God's, what is he, reluctant to do good things until we, like, beg him? Do, do we have to talk God into to being good? That, that's I've done that. weird. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then, then there's like the magical view of prayer. It's like, no, God's good. But for some reason, he's a real stickler 
about us saying the right words in the right formulas at the right time. Then he magically does the, you know. But when you step back for a minute and you think about what Greg has challenged us here at Woodland Hills forever about is what is our picture of God behind any of these pictures of prayer? And each one of those three, whether it's pro forma, twisting God's arm, uh, the magical view of prayer, it's like whatever that, that's not a loving God. That, that's not a God who is there for us, but rather a God who's waiting us to dance the right tune or say the right words. Or So, so what is what is prayer then? And, you know, once we, we have an agape view, right? The, the, the other-oriented, radical, self-sacrificial love of God picture that Jesus demonstrated, I think we can frame prayer in a really different way. Let's call it the cooperating with God view. What God seems to want, and this comes through really clearly in Jesus's prayer life, how Jesus treats prayer, is that God simply wants to work with, in, and through us to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It's 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 the fact that God's relational, that God has uh, given us some spiritual say-so. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call this prayer. And that God invites us to, to align our spiritual say-so with God's will so that we literally cooperate with God in the advancement of his kingdom. Now, we might say, well, why would he do this? Well, you know, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, says that when God thought up human, human being, God thought, that creature that will image me, that all the creatures of the earth this creature will be most like me to reflect my love and to bring the kingdom of God on earth that it is in heaven. And so prayer really is this part of our on-the-job training of stewarding and uh, honoring God, reflecting his love in the world. It's very much a relational dynamic, which is exactly what Dan was emphasizing for us last week in the opening sermon of the series. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Paul. That was really good. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. And I'm so glad Paul is joining us. And this, everything that Paul was just saying, um, I feel like is so right and so true, but it leads to this next question. And I'm going to ask you, Dan, is that when we read this passage of scripture, it really sounds like Jesus is promising that God will answer our prayers if we ask, seek, knock. And so we ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock. And um, I would venture to guess that everyone listening to this today or another day has had prayers where they've asked, they've seeked, they've knocked, and they just seem to have gone unanswered. And that can have all kinds of impact and effect. I know you've shared on Musecast about a a couple of really big things that you've prayed for that didn't seem to go answered. And so um, I'm just kind of curious that um, why do you think some people ask, seek, and knock and still don't seem to have their prayers answered? Yeah, one of the things I appreciate about Woodland Hills is that we don't embrace a simplistic understanding of prayer. And one of the things that I encourage people to do when you think of what is your theology of prayer, think about applying that to uh, somebody in a different life situation. Think about applying your theology of prayer to, say, a 10-year-old who's in Haiti who is so poor that they have to pick sustenance off of a garbage heap. And if your model of prayer doesn't work for them, then your model of prayer 
probably isn't right. Because uh, prayer has to work for the world that we see and the world that we experience. And we all experience unanswered prayer. And, and, and it can be really hard, especially when the thing that we're praying for is critical. Yeah. Sometimes it's a life or death issue that we're praying for, and it doesn't work. And we lose people we love, people that we love suffer, and, um, and, it, and, it, and it can float in our spirit like this kind of persistent um, kind of anti-testimony for God that just, it's just always there. And, um, and so I would say just a few things about unanswered prayer like that. The first thing is, if you are wrestling with, with um, struggling with prayers that were not answered, especially for critical things, you have to understand that there's a lot of different questions that are there, and, um, and it can be easy to get fixated on unanswered prayer. But there are other things. And so, for instance, if, if you have an unanswered prayer, you might, underneath the questions about prayer, you might be asking, does God even exist? Um, you might be asking, has God abandoned me? Am I not worth having this prayer answered. Uh, Or, kind of like Paul said, is there some magic formula that they didn't teach me in Sunday school that would have led to a successful prayer, but I didn't know it, so it failed. And it's important to realize that those are all separate questions. And and the reason why that's important is because Shauna and Paul and I could could create the perfect theological model for prayer, and it's never going to help you if you don't address some of those deeper issues. And so I encourage you to just always have your radar on for some of those deeper questions. The second thing I would say is that helps me is just remembering that prayer happens in a world that the Bible tells us is not yet the way that God wants it to be. Uh, it, it is, Paul tells us that, you know, uh, the sufferings that we're experiencing now, they're not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us when we are with God. But we're not there yet. We are still in the debris and the chaos of spiritual warfare. We are in a place that is not yet the way that God wants it to be. And given that, uh, there's also a lot of variables related to prayer in the New Testament that's mentioned. Uh, Paul has a more robust list, but this is just part of uh, the list that Paul Eddy put together. Uh, For instance, when we pray, we have to remember that we are in a fallen creation. Mm -hmm. We are uh, part of nature that has been corrupted. Uh, There is demonic influence all the time. We are under the the pressures of the principalities and powers. We're told that, that God wants to do good things, but sometimes God's timing is very strategic. And the good things that God wants to bring, it might not be right away. And so you see in the Old Testament, you see these prophecies that are for a hundred years away or four generations down the road. Uh, you, you see that God's will is very strategic because God is fighting against the principalities and powers. And there might be some things that just are not consistent with God's plan in his uh, battle against the, the evil forces of the world. And so you see that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, you also have uh, the, the importance of persistence in prayer. It's not enough just to pray for it once. It seems like there's some value in persisting in our prayer. Uh, We're told that sometimes fasting is important. Uh, Sometimes proximity is important where the disciples will lay hands on the people that they're praying for. The number of people who are praying can be important. Uh, If you have unforgiveness that you're carrying around in your heart as you're praying, uh, we're told that that can sabotage prayer sometimes. If you are praying with just self-centered, selfish motives, James warns us that that is going to sabotage our prayers. And so there's a lot of other things like that in the New Testament. Prayer is very complicated. It's, it's, uh, it's this moment where we are kind of connecting with the cosmos on this really grand scale. And, uh, and so it's complicated. But what God promises is that at the end of our journey, when we come to God, 
we will be fulfilled beyond our wildest dreams. It might be a little bumpy on the way there, but God promises us, keep at it. Mm-hmm. Keep pursuing it. Keep persisting in it, and you will be fulfilled. Mm. So that's been helpful for me. Yeah. You know, Dan, it, we could spend like several weeks just on these variables. Right. Because yeah. there are just so many, yeah. and, and there, it's never just a simple answer. Mm. But I, I love how you ended there about how in the end, everything will be fulfilled, and it is going to be bumpy along the way. And my encouragement during this along the way season that is our lifetime is remember, this is where we circle back to what Paul was talking about, our relationship with God and the character of God, remembering who he is and who he says that we are and our relationship with him and leaning into that and knowing that while we are going along and things are bumpy and sometimes devastating and hurtful and we're not seeing answers, knowing that we're not alone in that, that we are even in those moments being held by Jesus. He is with us and he is hurting alongside of us. So we may not see the fulfillment until the end, but in the midst of it, in the midst of all the muck, we are not alone. We are still being held. Amen. So I think that's important. Um, Paul, just a simple little thing. (laughs) This could sound a little bit like Jesus over-promising and under-producing. So does this mean that what Jesus is saying here is not entirely true? Just a little query I have for (laughs) you. It's a good question. you know, one, one of the reasons I think a lot of us love C.S. Lewis is how raw and honest he is. And in one of his uh, discussions on prayer, he raises this very question and he says, he said that the problem isn't so much that we, we have unanswered prayers. He said, the problem is we have these embarrassing promises of how lavishly they're going to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jesus seems to be one of the people lavishly promising these this fulfillment. I think, you know, what we're talking about when we read a passage like this, seek, knock, ask, and it will be given to you. Part of what we're doing here is we're doing biblical interpretation, right? How do we properly understand this text? And um, as Greg, Dan, and others have reminded us frequently, we've got to read in context. Dan just brought this up a bit ago. Um, A wise biblical interpreter once said that a text without a context is a pretext. <laughs> and uh, pretexts are not good. And so I think there's there's two things we can uh, do to ha- read this piece of text in context to give us a little more insight into what Jesus wants us to get out of this. Uh, one, one piece is historical context. We'll start there. What, it, what, what is it about the time and place where Jesus is giving this teaching, right? First century Galilee, where he's traveling town to town, uh, that can help us maybe on the inside of why he said what he said here. Um, let's remember, in Jesus's day, Jesus is, is in town for one day, giving a sermon or two, and then literally off the next day to the next town, he's trying to get through Galilee. And so he's not spending much time in any one place. He's also in a context where people are, by and large, not literate. That means no one's sitting around taking down notes so they can refresh their memory about what Jesus said next week or next month. Jesus has usually one shot to get very vivid pictures in people's minds about what he said so they remember it, and he's off to the next town. Well, we know from from studying how teachers work in ancient oral cultures that they would therefore say things often in very graphic 
or uh, hyperbolic or exaggerated ways to get the memory to stick. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying something very emphatically without nuancing it. But look, you and I do this uh, all the time. I, I'm certain there's been a time when I've been teaching one of my classes at Bethel where I've said something like this. Uh, hey, uh, midterm, final exam's coming up next week. All you have to do to do a good job on the final is just, just study real hard. It's all you got to do. And if one of my students ends up saying to themselves, hey, Dr. Eddie just said, all I got to do this week is study hard. So I guess I don't have to eat or drink water or breathe oxygen. You're good. And then they like miss the exam because they're in the hospital for dehydration or <laughs> oxygen deprivation. They can't come to me and use that as an excuse. <laughs> I will say, you really took me too literally there, right? Like I'm trying to emphasize studying. We could say the same thing that, that Jesus would want to say to us if all we think about is, well, this has to happen this way. And look, we even learn this from Jesus' own life, right? We, we rarely hear a sermon on these passages, but there are passages in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 6, for example, that tell us Jesus prayed uh, in Nazareth for healings and, quote, none happened. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a minute, even Jesus experienced the unanswered prayer sometimes. We end up seeing the most radical unanswered prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus says, Father, please let this cup pass from me if it can, but it can't. Mm -hmm. And so we have to then take G the rest of Jesus's teachings in life to realize, as Dan said, there's multiple variables here. Jesus gives us at least nine himself. Mm -hmm. Again, reading this stuff in context, we realize this is important. Persistence is important. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Yeah. But that's not the only variable for prayer. Mm. Thank awesome. you, Paul. Thank hey, you for that reminder. When, when uh, as Paul Eddy's college student, when I got out of the hospital, I, I still did get I, on the test. I knew it. Yes. See, I knew it. Yes. I knew that was you that he was talking about. <laughs> he took you too literally, Paul. <laughs> Thank God you studied. Also, Paul, thank you for that reminder that even Jesus mm. saw some unanswered prayers. So that is a comfort in yeah. many ways. Dan, one of the things I love about our community is that it's us here, but it's also these folks online. And, and, and these folks are tuning in from all over the world, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, but here in the States, we have this, this thing that I don't know if happens in other countries, um, but there is a common, common teaching here in America, and it's uh, taught by certain television preachers, yep. um, and, and they say that the only real variable determining whether or not prayer is answered, it's not, it's the only real variable is your faith. Right. Like faith is it. Yeah. And so, ugh, okay, I'm just going to ask the question. I'm not going <laughs> to. You're not going to sing? Nope. Nope. I thought you were going to sing a, well. a certain song about faith. <laughs> Okay. I mean, maybe. We'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. So how do people arrive at this perspective? And what is our view here at Woodland Hills Church about faith? Yeah. Faith, faith. I got to have faith. faith <laughs> there it faith. is. There it is. Woohoo. <laughs> oh, George Michael. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's often called the word faith movement. It's um, uh, associated with prosperity gospel. It's also associated with uh, name it, claim it theologies. Yeah. 
And, and it, you're right. It's, it's um, you know, all you need is, the, if you have really strong faith, you can get whatever you want, whatever you desire, whatever you want to do will happen. And it's based kind of narrowly on certain parts of the Bible, including this passage in, in Matthew where, you know, ask and it will be given to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, all right, let's, let's take that seriously. And also you see Jesus, when he sees all those hungry people, he just calls forth abundance and says, let's feed these people. And he creates food for all of these people. And you have um, uh, passages where Jesus promises us life to the full in him. Uh, and then you have uh, what I call Mark's mountain in uh, the gospel of Mark, yeah. where uh, Jesus says, look, if you have good faith, you can tell that mountain to get up and move and it will get up and move. It will obey you. And you look at that and you look at how robust and, and kind of like uh, grandiose those promises are. And you can see how, boy, I'm going to try and live into that. So I'm going to name what I want and I'm going to claim it for myself because God says he will give me what I want. And so I'm sort of entitled to it. And, uh, and, and they kind of live in that space. Um, and I understand how you can get to that conclusion if you only focused on verses like that. But as we've seen, there are some red flags that should immediately jump to our minds when we hear this way of thinking. First, uh, as Paul kind of mentioned, there is so much unanswered prayer, yeah. even in the Bible. I mean, for sure in our lives, but even in the Bible, even uh, in the disciples, the apostle Paul prayed to have this mysterious thorn removed from his side. That, that didn't get answered. You have most of the apostles and the disciples were martyred. Some of them were gruesomely killed. Obviously, their prayers weren't answered. Uh, And Jesus himself uh, didn't have all of his prayers answered. And I'm just going to guess that their faith was probably a little bit better than mine. And so when I hear some of this word faith stuff, for me personally, I'm like, it doesn't seem that simple. And plus, we've seen that there are many variables related to prayer, not just faith. There's lots of things that go into uh, a prayer. And then the, the third thing, and this is just personal, I can't, like if I were tr- to go down that path, I don't see how I could not become uh, very kind of greedy mm, yeah. <laughs> and self-obsessed. Because right. if my health, my wealth, and my success are an indicator of my faith, well, I would want more health, wealth, and success. And so for me personally, I would have a hard time not just becoming self-obsessed, which then kind of sabotages some of these other things that Jesus wants for me to become other-oriented, to become charitable, to, to be frugal, to not hoard possessions. And so for me personally, it, it just won't quite work. So. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it, it's, it's damaged some folks in their, in their faith walk and their journey and their relationship with God because then they're like, ugh. Yeah. I must not have had enough faith. And well, that, that's a big one. I mean, because you're setting, up, setting yourself up for failure. And also, you know, when you, when you have um, that type of grandiose expectation that God is going to just give me, then it makes it where I'm a little less careful with my possessions because I can always get more. That's right. And, and, and it can cause, especially people who are poor, who fall into this theology, it can cause kind of chronic problems mm-hmm. and uh, it can be dangerous, I think. That's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so then, Paul, if this presents, let's just call it an unbalanced view, everything that Dan was just talking about, this word of faith movement, how should we think about our relationship in regards to faith and prayer? Because, yes, we do have a bit of faith, right? So um, if it's not this unbalanced view, how should we approach this? Yeah, good question. And, you know, I think I've I've seen people, I think I've struggled with this myself, who don't want to, to fall into that that imbalanced view Dan was just talking about. And you can almost find yourself sort of saying, well, no, it isn't about faith, right? Like, it's like, 
we can't really go there either because Jesus clearly includes right. faith as one of the important variables. So it really is about a balance here. But another really important question here that often doesn't get asked is, wait a minute, what do we mean by faith here? Mm. Like, If we don't have a biblical concept of faith, this can also really uh, lead us to, to wrong places with our, with our prayer life. Um, I'd say that the, the word faith movement that Dan just described tends to interpret this idea of faith as what we could call psychological certainty, yeah. right? So it's this idea that uh, when Jesus says pray with faith, that what he means is we're supposed to try really, really, really hard to believe really, really, really certainly that something's going to happen. But the, the problem with that definition of faith is that's not what the Greek word pistis, uh, which we translate faith, is really pointing at. Uh, the, the word pistis is drawn from the, from the context, uh, at least as Jesus and the disciples use it, from the context of covenant relationship. Mm. It's a relational term. What it means is trust. Trust in one's partner, one's covenant partner. So from what I'm doing in my head, believe really strong, to do I trust the faithfulness of God? Mm. Now we're talking relationship, not really trying hard to believe something. Now, of course, um, if you believe something, uh, you're going to exercise trust and faith. That'll be obvious. Yeah. But uh, but you're not simply going to be focused. How strong do I believe? Um, I, I think about an example might be when I get on an airplane. Um, what what is faith? What what does it mean that I have faith? To, to take this airplane ride. Well, I may or may not be absolutely, absolutely certain what's going to happen on that plane. Because who knows, right? I mean, there's always chances. But if I trust that the mechanics and the pilot and the air traffic controllers know what they're doing, and I take the step of getting on the plane, I've just put my life in, in someone's hands. That's the same thing God's asking for us. It's simply have faith in God's goodness, God's character, put our life in his hands, in our prayer life. And that, I think, preserves us in this place of, of a much more balanced approach to this thing. Mm. Mm. How many of you are surprised that Paul circled back to covenant? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's so foundational. Thank you for that. Also, did you notice those little glitches? It's Max Headroom, I tell oh you. Oh, my Lord. I, I don't think that's Paul. Dan I don't think is it's Paul. showing a great lack of faith right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's transition for our final question. Hey, thanks for being here for this yeah. discussion. We really felt like it was important just to kind of, like I said, nip some of these questions in the bud. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. But for this last um, question, we're going to turn personal. And I would love for you guys to share about your process, your faith journey, and how your prayer life has evolved throughout that journey. Yeah. Am I starting? You're looking at me like I'm starting. Let me see. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. It's well, you. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, the first thing I just want to confess that, um, you know, as a, as a new Christian, I would see people, you know, pastors who uh, would pray. And I would assume that they had like these really robust prayer lives where, you know, I don't know, they, they would pray and they would levitate towards some light on the horizon or something like that. You know, just like, where, whereas for me, prayer has always been kind of tough. And, and even now, I consider myself a prayer kind of toddler spiritually. And, um, and, and 
and for a while, when I was a new Christian, a long, long time ago, I would pray very religious-y prayers, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and I'd pray regularly. Uh, but then, you know, I had my, my good friend Jessica had cancer, and we prayed for healing, and it seemed like the more we prayed, the worse her cancer got. And so we would bring in more people because the number of people matter. So we'd bring more people in. We had these huge bonfires with, you know, 200 people all praying for Jessica, and she died. Uh, she died. She had the cancer spread to her brain, and she died. And I was just, I had this intellectual, this cognitive certainty that she was going to be healed because look at all these people praying. And I was so disappointed that I probably didn't pray for several years at least. In the early 2000s, I read a book by N.T. Wright on the Lord's Prayer. It's just this short little 80-page book. And he talked about the importance of, of regularly reciting the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but not just reciting it, but actually meditating and thinking about what each line means. And so I just started doing that because I figured, well, I haven't been praying, and maybe I need to kind of venture back into that. That was super helpful. Uh, that helped a lot. Uh, the next kind of step that really helped was uh, Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing yeah. the Presence of God, uh, and along with Brother Greg Boyd's book, uh, Present Perfect. Uh, those books both talk about the, the, the practice of pretending, basically, or imagining that Jesus is with you. It's not pretending because Jesus really is with yeah. you. And so it's, it's really a practice of using your imagination to pierce through the unreality that Jesus isn't there because Jesus is with us. And so by using our imagination, we can kind of tear down that false reality that Jesus isn't with us. And so that has been helpful. So I'll go and I'll run errands and I will have Jesus with me in the car or if I'm at Starbucks, Jesus is reading the paper at the table and it does make me feel closer to God and it makes me feel different. Um, And then finally, kind of probably one of the biggest kind of uh, changes in my prayer life was about some of the stuff I talked about last week about realizing that God's omniscient knowledge of me is not the same thing as his relational knowledge of me. And God already knows everything that there is to know omnisciently about me. But there's still this opportunity to have relational knowledge. And that is basically, God is waiting for that opportunity to know me relationally. But that requires me to step into relational moments with God. And that has been really helpful for me to understand that because now there's this reason for me to enter into prayer other than just conversation. I'm creating this, this uh, uh, relational moment with God. And, and only I can bring that about. And, you know, I only have so many hours and so many days in my life. And, boy, I'd be really disappointed if I got to the end of my life and I didn't have any relational moments with God. And uh, God would still know me, totally. Yeah. But we wouldn't have any of these shared moments together and he wouldn't know me relationally. Mm-hmm. And, boy, that has motivated me to enter into these shared, it's not just prayer, but it's a shared moment with God. And uh, that's been very motivational for me. That was beautiful, Dan. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Paul, will you tell us a little bit about your journey in prayer? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, unlike Dan, um, (laughs) I've always had a mature, robust, fabulous prayer life since about two years old. Um, So I don't know what Dan's talking about. No. Quite honestly, um, and that, Dan, this goes really back to some of the vulnerable things you shared last week. Um, I could so relate to that. I, you know, my my 43 years of, of following Jesus, a, a lot of that time has been struggling with a sense experiencing God's presence really consistently 
Um, and, and with that, I think comes some, a challenge to prayer sometimes. Uh, uh, but I have, I've, I've, I've had some good mentors in my life, and um, I'll just share two principles that I that I, I've been taught that have I think really really helped me. And the first has to do with seasons of life, and it can be seasons sometime like that. And you talked about four years there, where it was just tough to pray. Um, I had a mentor who once said, "Paul, in those seasons of life where you find yourself not feeling God's love or presence, or where prayer seems just sort of obligatory and 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 and." Uh, supposed to. He said, remember, in those seasons, leaning into prayer more strongly than ever is actually the time where you will grow more in your prayer life than any other time. Mm. It's easy to pray when, when, when things are rosy and you feel God. He said, but when you're not in that place and you choose, just make the choice. What you're doing, he said, is you're choosing agape love. Mm. You're, you're choosing to self-sacrificially love God and press into that relationship. So he says, go for it even the most then. And I've tried to remember that. It's, uh, it doesn't always feel natural, but it is a, a choice of love. And that's, of course, we're learning to love together, which means right. learning to pray when it doesn't seem natural. Um, another thing uh, uh, I've learned, I think, is this. When we have the prayers in Scripture, it, oftentimes some of the ones recorded are very miraculous things happen, like supernatural healings or that. It can believe that unless, some, unless something really literally miraculous is happening, then we're not, uh, something is lacking in our prayers. Um, but the truth is, we're called the body of Christ for a really important reason, that we are to be the voice and the hands and the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And one of my mentors also shared with me that, Paul, remember when we pray as a body, it's quite that, Paul, your prayer is going to be fulfilled by another member of the body of Christ, yeah. and their prayer is going to be fulfilled by you. Whether are in Concert with our head, Jesus, and uh, the way God often works through prayer is through us. Mm. And so I think you, you mentioned, Dan, uh, Brother Lawrence's book, The Practice of the Presence of God, absolutely fundamental book in my life as well. Let me just mention another that I found really helpful in this regard. It's uh, Dallas Willard's yeah. little book called Hearing God, How to Have a Conversational Relationship with God. And once again, we're coming back to relationships. This whole thing is about relationship. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Paul. Uh, such a great conversation, you guys. Thank you so much. Um, literally have two minutes, but no. I am. I am. Okay, good. You better. <laughs> just I got this one more, just in case. Just one more That's thing. Right. Just one more thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, very quickly, I will say that when I was an early believer, when I was young in my faith, um, I was very prescriptive mm -hmm. in how I prayed because that's what would guarantee God's answer. And that was naive. <laughs> um, I think I was more worried about how I prayed and the words I said and the volume with which and the people around me and yeah. all of that. Um, a, a heart that wanted to see God answer, but 
All it took was just a few times of things going unanswered, really big, important, huge things going unanswered. And I, it kind of rocked my world. And um, that's when I began the process of leaning into the personhood of who God is and remembering that he's Father, Son, and Spirit and that he is with me. And I've used this analogy before, um, but it's, it's, it's just like when there was the storm and the sea and, and things were raging all around because that can be like sometimes. Things are raging all around, but we can have a calm in the midst of the storm. Why? Because like I said earlier, we are being held. And so in my prayer time, I have learned more to not worry with how or what or volume or all of that. Although some of that does, you know, like you said, like having more people and can sometimes help and making sure there's not unforgettable. Yes, there are things that we need to to deal with, but for the for the most part, I've just learned to lean into the personhood of who God is, Father, Son, Spirit, who loves me, who is with me, who hurts when I hurt, and wants the good outcome. Yeah. And they're devastated. They, they are holding my hand like, yeah, that is awful that we didn't see the outcome that we wanted. And, and so that's been really good, like shifting from the prescription of prayer into who the person of God is. Yeah. So... That's been a part of the journey. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys Mm. for being here. Good news, Dan and I are going to talk about this some more on Tuesday. So join us uh, on the MuseCast Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. If you are here and you need prayer, don't leave. Come up here. We've got folks who will connect with you and pray with you. Also online, they will connect with you and pray with you because we are a community together. Don't forget to save your spot if you are going to have kiddos next week in Heroes Gate. Have an awesome week, you guys. Thank you all so, so, so much. Yes.